This is a download from Ormskirk Christadelphians of one of our Sunday afternoon talks. For more downloads, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk or join us in person at our meeting room on Moorgate in Ormskirk every Sunday at 1.45pm. We hope you enjoy the talk. Well, good afternoon, everybody. Um, I want to start by asking you a, a question. Sorry, it's not one that I'm going to expect you to shout out answers for, but just to think about for a minute, and it's this question. Uh, why would anybody write a biography? You know, the record of somebody else's life. Why do people do that? Well, um, I guess for, for quite a few, it's because it's somebody they admire, and it's their way of paying homage to a great person. That's why some people write biographies, whereas for other people it's actually kind of the opposite. Some people write a, a biography to get even with them and to, uh, to expose everything that some celebrity has done and, and bring them crashing down. And it might even be that you write a biography to expose somebody's failings as a way of warning future generations and say, well, look, this is how this person got it wrong. Let's make sure we don't follow in their footsteps. And perhaps the cynic in me says that actually the reason most people write biographies now is simply to make money because people like to read the stories of others' lives and therefore you can make money out of doing that. The reason I put that up in front of you to start off this afternoon is because uh, when we come to the gospel records... What we've got there, in a way, is a biography, isn't it? And we're thinking of John this afternoon. Is he writing a biography of Jesus? Is, is that what we're, we're expecting to see when we open the pages of John? Well, if it is, then something ought to come out to us about why John has written these words. You know, we've thought about why other people write biographies, but why did John write his record? of the life of Jesus. Well, it was there, actually, in those verses we read a couple of minutes ago, right at the end of the Gospel in chapter 20. Think of this. This was the very last two verses of that chapter. Uh, John, having shown how Jesus showed himself to his disciples when he was raised from the dead, says, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. He could have written all sorts more. But, says John, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. And in a way, that's the theme of John. I could sit down right now, but I want to show you a little bit more about how we can see that when we go through John's Gospel, that this is what he's writing to, to show to, to you and me. So that we can believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we may have life in his name. And in a, in a way, that helps us, actually. Um, we have to get to the end to see John's reason. But once we know that, it tells us why it is, then, that John's gospel record is not a normal biography. It isn't like picking up Terry Wogan's um, and, and trying to plough through his uh, life or any other person. You see, when we read John, there's nothing about his early life. It's not even like uh, Matthew or Luke's gospel where you get something of his birth. In John, you, you come upon Jesus at the age of 30. 
Actually, he missed most of uh, his life uh, on earth by that point. But there's a reason for that that John's already told us. Actually, John's gospel record misses huge chunks of the action as well. The three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, you know, you're not told very much at all. Only eight of Jesus' thousands of miracles are recorded for us. But those eight, we actually get quite a lot of detail about them. Actually, much more detail in John's record of those miracles than you get in most of the other gospel records. And there is, usually around those miracles, there's some detail of the discussions Jesus has, particularly with the Jewish leaders of his day. And what we do have in John's record, which we have very little of elsewhere, is a lot of detail of a few hours of Jesus' life. The last few hours before he's arrested and crucified, really between the Last Supper and the Garden of Gethsemane. Now when you see how weird that is, how, how um, imbalanced you might say it is in terms of a record of Jesus' life, that then makes us think hopefully about, well what is this about, why are we being told these things? And John's told us, hasn't he? He said, look, I've recorded this, these very specific bits of Jesus' life for a reason. It's to show you and me that Jesus is the Son of God. It's to help you and me to believe in him and to live. So that, that gives us the, the real themes of John's Gospel record. And I want to show you just a little of how that comes out. Because one of the first things that you and I find when we open our Bible at John, is that uh, Jesus is presented to you and me as the Son of God. Well, let's, uh, let's open our Bibles and, and, and go in at chapter 1. I said already, didn't I, that, uh, that John doesn't start with the birth of Jesus. But what we do find in John chapter 1 is that when Jesus comes on the scene, actually even before we're personally introduced to Jesus we're told things and we're going to find out things about the characteristics of Jesus that convinced men and women that he was the son of God it's not because Jesus is going around saying to people yeah, I'm the son of God I am that, that's who I am look, look at what John actually tells to us about him um, let's, uh, we don't have his birth but we've got these characteristics let's have a look at verse 14 It just says there in, in this verse, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And there before we've even met Jesus, John writing says, well, Jesus is he's God's word made flesh and here he was living among us is just one thing for you to think about as well John writes there about we and us and that suggests to me that this is uh, this almost this is John writing on behalf not just of himself but of the other disciples of Jesus he says we we saw this man and what did we see we saw somebody who showed us the glory of the father it was clear to us that he must be the son of God because he was full of grace and truth. His very character showed who he was. And we haven't even met him yet. But we do meet him as we go on in the chapter. Go back down to uh, 
verse 29 and this is the story of John the Baptist and it says the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world this is he of whom I said after me cometh a man which is preferred before me for he was before me and I knew him not but that he should be manifest to Israel therefore am I come baptizing with water and John bare record saying I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him and I knew him not but he that sent me to baptize with water the same said unto me upon whom thou shalt see the spirit descending and remaining on him the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Spirit and I saw and bear record that this is the son of God and so John the Baptist says the same doesn't he he, he first of all points out Jesus and says well here's, here's the lamb of God here's the one who's going to be a sacrifice to take away men and women's sins and he says and I also saw that this man was given the spirit of God God's very power when he was baptised and it was from these things that John says well I, John the Baptist says I, I can witness then that this is none other than the son of God and now people begin to interact with Jesus and they come away with the same impression you know because uh, some of John's disciples follow Jesus and look at verse 41 one of those men is, uh, is Andrew and in verse 41 we're told of Andrew he first findeth his own brother Simon saith unto him we found the Messiah which is being interpreted the Christ so Andrew he's only spent a few hours with Jesus and already He's able to go to his brother and say, do you know what? This, this man is the one promised in our Old Testament. He's the Messiah, the Christ. He's God's king. The one who actually was going to have God as his father. Andrew was convinced just by spending a little time with Jesus. And, and when you go on to the end of this first chapter, Jesus meets another man, a man called Nathaniel. Let's pick up Nathaniel in verse 45. We're told Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. And what an amazing admission that that man makes. That's the first few words he's had with Jesus. And what Jesus has shown him, that he has the the ability to read men's inner thoughts and see them when he's not with them convinces Nathaniel straight away he says you clearly are the son of God and you see how this is a theme in John's gospel then we've only got through chapter one and already it's been Jesus is presented to us whether in the third person or by people who met him he's presented to us as being the son of God and that's really important because um, it, it's not just that Jesus is physically the son of God that John is trying to get over to us here. He's trying to get over 
the implication of what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God. And he's going to go on and say, well, you know, because Jesus is the Son of God, that means God has sent him. Because yeah, God, doesn't, God doesn't have children every day, does he? This was an absolutely unique event. that The, the only begotten of God uh, came into being. And, and so John, another of his themes is to put over to us that Jesus is sent by God. Part of him being God's son is, is that message. Well, well, let's have a look at that. Um, ooh, got them all there. But we'll, we'll take them one at a time. Chapter 3. And uh, let's have a look at verse 34. This is one of, this is John's commentary now, uh, writing the gospel. <coughs> and what he says of Jesus is this, verse 34. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him. You see, John says, look, look, Jesus was sent by God. And what does that mean? Well, it means he speaks the words of God. It also means he has God's power without measure. But the key thing is, Jesus is coming to speak God's message because he's sent by God. Now come over to chapter 6. And this, these are words of Jesus himself now. Where Jesus tells us and, and his audience that, that he's been sent by God. And he's doing it in quite poetic language, really. These are the words we read this morning, weren't they, before we broke bread. Verse 33, Jesus says, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And if you just go over to verse 46 as well. He says in verse 46, I think this... Uh, this may well be a John's commentary again. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. So John's getting over to us here that Jesus has come from God. Jesus is, is of God, just as any child comes from their parent genetically. Jesus is from God, but he's very much been sent by God and that's a message that we keep coming across going to the next chapter chapter 7 and Jesus is still trying to share this message with, with people and so he says to them in verse 16 Jesus answers the Jews and said my doctrine is not mine but his that sent me that, that's one of the implications of Jesus being sent by God that he brings God's teaching with him He's not doing things off his own bat. And look at later on in the chapter, verse 28. Jesus, Jesus uh, it says, Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Jesus knew his origins, didn't he? It's clear from his words there. And Jesus knew that that wasn't an excuse for him to go around boasting about who he was. But because he was from God and sent by God, he had teachings from God to give the people. And so he says, look, my teachings, not my own. I'm giving you God's words because that's what he sent me for. And, uh, and he, he concludes with the same idea over in chapter 8 um, in verse 42 again. 
verse 42, he says, Jesus said unto them, If God were your father, ye would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. So you've, you've got there, you see how, how clearly that message comes through. Here's Jesus saying, look, I come from God. Okay, that's not a big deal in itself. But having come from God, I know that I've been sent by him. And therefore my teachings, the very message I bring you, is a message which comes from God. And that, that, um, that, that means that, you know, if Jesus is right in that then he's got a really important message. That, I think, is the reason why John records so many of Jesus' words. Because if, if John is showing to us Jesus as the Son of God, sent by God, with God's words, then we need to get hold of as many of those words as we can and, and take them on and, and think about them and act upon them. Now, I think it's all very well that we've got those, those sort of key themes in John. Here's Jesus presented as God's son, has been from God and with God's words. But why, why would we believe that? Why, why should we believe, um, you know, John writing and saying, well, you know, here, here's who Jesus is. Well, John gives us the reasons to believe. And remember, that was one of the, that was one of the reasons John's written this gospel record, to help us believe. Now one of the reasons that John gives us to believe who Jesus is, is the miracles. Let's just have a look at uh, how, how that comes over in, in John as a theme. Um, come back to chapter 2, the very first miracle that's recorded by John uh, about Jesus, and it's the wedding in Cana. Here's where Jesus turns water into wine. Do you know what the comment is at the end of that miracle? It's a miracle that hardly anybody saw. Only a handful of men saw the miracle. But what we're told about it is this, verse 11. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. You see, it was the miracles Jesus did that helped men and women then to believe in him. And can help you and me to believe as well today. Actually you go to the end of that chapter. And, and it, it, there's more. Um, it says in verse 23. That when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover. In the feast day many believed in his name. When they saw the miracles which he did. You see there's lots of people then who saw again. Saw miracles. And said well this must be the son of God. Except you know. For many of those people, that belief was quite superficial because verse 24 says, But Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. So Jesus could see people believing in him, but knew that it, maybe it was only skin deep, their belief in him. And you know what? The things that Jesus did on that occasion there in Jerusalem convinced even the Jewish leaders, some of them anyway, to acknowledge that Jesus was something special. Just go over to the beginning of chapter 3 and look at this. This is this same feast. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, 
for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. You see there, don't you, that uh, Nicodemus isn't going to push the boat right out, is he? He's not going to say at this point, we believe you're the son of God. But he has said, we believe you've been sent by God. He's, He's halfway there already, isn't he, to the conclusion he needs to reach. And the very thing that Jesus is, is teaching. But, uh, but he's not gone the whole way yet. But, but having seen the miracles, he, he was convinced that Jesus was, was something well above and beyond the normal. Now, of course, Jesus did some really mighty miracles. And it's probably the, the greatest miracle of all that Jesus did is, is one of those recorded in John. And it's, uh, it's in John 11 where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Just come over to John 11 with me, if you will, please. Given though, I should say, we're staying in John for the whole time this afternoon. This is what I'm speaking on, so I'm not going to take you anywhere else. And that's the reason I'm getting you to look up all the verses, because they're all, all within a stone's throw of, of any page that we're on. But uh, look at what we read uh, towards the end of, of this chapter, where the, the crunch time comes. Here's a man who's been dead for four days and buried. And uh, verse 41 says, Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always. But because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did, believed on him. So John is able to record for us these miracles, not just to, to wow us with what Jesus did, but, but to show that the miracles that Jesus was able to carry out demonstrating God's power, it was those things that for many men and women were a reason to believe in him. They believed because of what they saw. But not everybody's convinced, are they, by miracles? I mean, I guess if, uh, if somebody was seen to do that kind of thing today... Um, you know what, what would you and I say if, if we heard that somebody had been raised from the dead or let's say we, we were there and we saw that happen I guess there were always going to be someone who said well you know maybe he wasn't dead you know maybe this is all a bit of a, an elaborate staged trick you know seeing those things isn't necessarily enough to convince everybody is it and we see that actually if you just go over a page to chapter 12 and we're at the very end of Jesus' three and a half years of teaching and doing miracles. What do we read? It's, it's really a sad uh, reflection on, on what we are like that John says in chapter 12, verse 37. He says, though he'd done so many miracles before them, yet they believe not on him. That the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake. Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, 
that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. So miracles by themselves, actually the miracles did help many men and women to believe but not everybody. For some a miracle wasn't the right thing and actually one of the things that convinced many other people to believe in Jesus is, uh, is not the miraculous things he did but the things he said the teachings that Jesus gave we need to go back a few pages now to chapter 4 because in, in chapter 4 Jesus meets a woman at the well in, in Sychem in Samaria and he talks to this woman and actually you know, he does a, a bit of a miracle because he shows her what she's thinking or, or what her marital circumstances were and she thinks that's quite amazing and then Jesus talks to her townsfolk as well look at verse 39 in chapter 4 told there many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified he told me all things that ever I did so when the Samaritans were come unto him they besought him that he would tarry with them and he abode there two days and many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman now we believe not because of thy saying for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ the saviour of the world now I think for you and me that's really good because for you and me today, we, we read about the miracles of Jesus, but we haven't seen them, have we? We have, to, we have to take those miracles on face value as being a true record that John's giving us. And if you didn't believe it, it, that the miracles were recorded accurately, what would you have to go on to believe in Jesus? Well, these Samaritans tell us. They say, we've listened to what he says. And we know from what he says that he's the Son of God, the Christ the saviour of the world and so we have in John all these things Jesus said recorded so that whether or not we believe the miracles we can believe in him because of his own words it's like uh, we read back in chapter 3 a minute ago he whom God has sent speaks the words of God and that shows us who Jesus is it is actually interesting um, to, to think just for a minute uh, because John brings this out that John is, is very much at pains to give us witnesses to who Jesus is. So let, let me ask you then uh, a question um, again. Um, you know, in a court of law, how many witnesses do you need to prove something? Typically, it's very difficult to prove something on the, on the basis of one witness, isn't it? Three. Three. Um, certainly in the law of Moses, in our Old Testament, it was on the mouth of two or three witnesses you needed at least that for anybody, anything to be established actually the more witnesses you've got as long as they agree the better but it was two or three and Jesus knows that people will want witnesses to testify of who he is so how many does Jesus give? well he gives us five and he gives us them in chapter five just have a look at uh, chapter five and, and some of what's read there it's obvious that people were desperately trying not to believe in Jesus and so he gives them witnesses to say who he is what does he say verse 31 of uh, John chapter 5 see if you can count these up as we go he says if I bear witness of myself 
my witness is not true. So he says, well, I'm bearing witness, but you know, you can't believe one person's witness. He says, there is another that beareth witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesseth of me is true. Ye sent unto John, and he bear witness unto the truth. But I receive not testimony from man, but these things I say that ye might be saved. He was a burning and a shining light, and ye were willing for a season to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father hath sent me. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. You've neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he hath sent, him ye believe not. Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. You see this argument Jesus is building up. He says, well look, I've witnessed about who I am. But you might not believe that. John the Baptist is another witness. He told you, well we saw it didn't we? John told you who I am. He's the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. This man's the Son of God, John said. Jesus says, well if you don't want to believe them, look at what I'm doing. The works I do, all these miracles, they show who he is. Jesus says, the Father himself has told you who I am. And you can think of the baptism of Jesus where the, 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 the voice was heard. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. God himself had testified of Jesus. And finally Jesus says, well, do you know what? If you don't want to take any of that on board, you, you're spending your life looking at the Old Testament. The Old Testament talks about me as well. It tells you who I am. Jesus had plenty of witnesses if, if people were willing to accept them as to who he is, one sent from God, the Son of God. And for you and me today, we are challenged by John to receive the same testimony of five witnesses. You know, will we, will we accept that many? Or like the Jews, will we try and ignore them? Well, maybe the greatest witness that we have that, that I think comes out in John's Gospel much more than in the other records of the Gospels um, that shows us that Jesus is the Son of God is, is this that Jesus does what his Father does because that's what children do don't they they, they learn a, a huge amount by imitating their parents um, sometimes in good ways and sometimes in not so good ways but Jesus actually shows us who his father is by imitating his father. Well, we've seen it a bit already, haven't we? Do you remember he was able to read people's thoughts? He was able to tell Nathaniel what he'd been thinking under a tree. He was able to tell the woman in Sycam what she was thinking about and what her situation was in life. That's something that only God could do. And yet, one who was God's son could do the same as well. He does something that, uh, that we wish our children would do. But uh, despite being our children, Mary's daughters, they don't. Um, Jesus cleans his father's house out. Come back to chapter 2, where we, uh, where we see this. And again, you know, this is something he's got from his father. And he tells us so. 
chapter 2 and verse 15 in the temple it says when he'd made a scourge of small cords he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and he poured out the changers money and overthrew the tables and he said unto them that sold doves take these things hence make not my father's house and house of merchandise there's, there's, there's somebody who's, who's, who feels anger because of what people are doing to his father's house you see, he's showing himself, isn't he, to be the son of his father because he's concerned about what his father's concerned about. You know, if our children were concerned about the tidiness of their house, they would clean it like Mary does. Maybe they will one day when we're, uh, when we're old and doddery. But this is what Jesus is doing and saying, I'm, I'm being like my father. Um, go over to chapter 5 and we see that Jesus imitates his father's works. This is after Jesus has done a miracle, a mighty miracle, healing a lame man. And uh, when people question him on it, verse 17, Jesus answered them, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. And uh, go down to verse 19. Um, then Jesus answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the father do. For what things whether he doeth, these also doeth the Son likewise. For the Father loveth the Son, and showeth him all things that himself doeth. And he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honour the Son, even as they honour the Father. He that honoureth not the Son, honoureth not the Father which hath sent him. There again, Jesus in talking to people is saying, look, I'm, all I'm doing is what, what my Father does. I've seen what he does and I'm trying to do the same myself. myself. Isn't that the lovely thing of parents with children? When, when you show them something and then they imitate it and, and pick up learning from you yourself as a, as a parent. Jesus is saying, that's what I'm doing in, in my life and God is giving me more and more to do because he's trusting me with well with even raising the dead and with, with judging men and women in fact he goes on and talks uh, a bit more about this in verse 25 he says verily verily I say unto you the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the son of God and they that hear shall live for as the father hath life in himself so hath he given to the son to have life in himself. Just as God can give life. Jesus says he, he's given that to me. I can do the same as my father. To, to give life. That, that's what happened with Lazarus wasn't it? That Jesus gave life back to that man. And, uh, and God is going to entrust him as a faithful son. With judgment as well. In verse 27 in this chapter. He says he's. God's given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man and Jesus will give life or death uh, when he judges. All of these things show us that Jesus is the son of his particular father. And uh, the one lovely one um, that I always think there very deliberately by John is in chapter 9. Look at chapter 9. It's another of Jesus' miracles. But it's a really unusual one. And, and it's, it's a blind man. 
And you know, Jesus has talked to blind men before and cured them of their blindness. He can do it with a word. What does he do here? Verse 6 says, when, he'd said, uh, when he had thus spoken, Jesus spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. That's very deliberate of Jesus, isn't it? To, to get clay dust of the ground and to put it on the blind man's eyes. And, and out of that, Jesus creates a, a man who can see. And, and it's almost as if it's shouting out to us. Here's a man who can create things out of the dust of the ground. Just like God. Because God created from the dust, didn't he, back in, in Genesis. All through John, you've got these little ideas and themes coming out saying, this man is his father's son. Because look how alike they are in the very things that they do. <coughs> day by day which leads us then to this conclusion that that to know Jesus is, is actually to know his father the more we get to know him in the things recorded the more we get to know God and that's an important thing for us to pick up in John because it explains a lot of the very um, almost odd things that are said to us in John's gospel so go um, go back a page to chapter 8 and uh, in verse 19 of, of chapter 8 there's a debate here about the who was Jesus' father and verse 19 they, they said to him where is thy father Jesus answered ye neither know me nor my father if ye had known me ye should have known my father also because to know Jesus is to know what God is like. And, and that's why actually when you come on two pages into chapter 10. In, a, in another one of these debates that Jesus is having with the leaders of the time. In John chapter 10 and verse 30. Very simply Jesus says to those people in Israel. I and my father are one. And they were horrified by Jesus saying that. And you and I might be horrified today when we first read it. So, whoa, whoa, hold on a minute, what's Jesus telling us there? But Jesus is telling us actually something very simple. He's saying, we are one in, in the way that we act, the way that we think, the way that we behave. Because to know me is to know God. In fact, he goes on to say that as we go down the chapter. Look at verse 37. He says, if I do not the works of my father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe not me, believe the works that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. And Jesus is at pains here trying to get over to these men and women. Look, I, I do so much what my Father does that, uh, that you, you can tell what God is like by looking at what I do and believing the things that I do. Let's, uh, let's just go on to one more in this line of thought. Chapter 14 and, um, and verse 7. Now here's Jesus not in an argument. He's not trying to explain who he is to the, the uh, Jewish leaders. Is Jesus talking to his own disciples. Verse 7. He says, if you'd known me, you should have known my father also. And from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. 
Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, How have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Jesus is saying to Philip, well, Do you know, have you not realised yet, Philip, I'm a mirror image of my own Father. When you look at me, it's God's characteristics you're seeing. The works I do, the words I say, are showing you what God is like. There's a, a, a verse in Hebrews, at the very beginning of Hebrews, that tells us Jesus is, is the brightness of God's glory being the express image of his person. And that express image is the idea of, a, of like a, a wax seal where the, the, the shape you stamp is, is replicated perfectly in, in the seal. That, that's, that's how Jesus was showing to us um, what his father is like. Okay, let's, let's move on again then and, uh, and ask another question. Well, you know, if, if John is, is all the way through trying to show us who Jesus is, he's the son of God, um, that he's sent by God, he's telling us about God, he's showing us what God is like, um, we, we do have to ask the question, well, what's in it for you and me? What's the benefit to us of coming to know Jesus when we read this record and actually of believing in him? Is it, is it just something that makes us warm and fuzzy? Or, or is there more to it than that? Well, come back with me please to, uh, to chapter 3. And, and here we have perhaps some of the most well-known words, in, in certainly in the New Testament, possibly in, in the whole of the Bible. And if we want to benefit from knowing and believing in Jesus, it's here. Verse 14 of that chapter says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There's a really clear statement for you and me, but there's, there's, there's bits to it, aren't there? Um, Jesus is asking us there, and John is telling us that our belief in Jesus has to be a belief in Jesus lifted up, as verse 14 says, which is talking about his crucifixion. That we're being asked to believe that this, this Jesus was crucified to, to give others life. Remember what the Samaritans said? He is the saviour of the world. Or like John the Baptist said, he's the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. And this is how he did it, by being lifted up, crucified for us. That, that's what John is asking you and me to believe in about Jesus. He's asking us to believe that this is why Jesus was sent. That, that this wasn't some kind of happy accident, 
that Jesus died in this way and it's, and it's got a benefit for us but he was sent for that very reason by his father and we're being asked to believe that through his death you and I actually can, can have a hope of, of not dying forever but actually live in hope of everlasting life. Because that's what, that's what Jesus promises to, to those who follow him. That, that's, that's why we would want to believe in Jesus and be looking for reasons to believe in Jesus because that can give us life. Let's have a, a look. Um, no, it's all right, I'll put it on screen this time. Chapter 5, we've already read some of these verses, but look at this again. Jesus says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word... And believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And he says a few verses later, do not marvel at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So Jesus promises this to his followers. He says, oh, this is what I can give you if you are willing to believe in me. Who I am. Why I came. What I've done. That we can have through him life. Not just normal life but everlasting life. And that's actually brought out very much in, in the incident of, uh, of Lazarus being raised from the dead. That, that, was, that is recorded by John to show us this is the power that, and the authority that Jesus has. It's, um, it's in the, the, the sad part of the chapter. Well, maybe it's not that sad because of what Jesus says. See, Martha says to Jesus, I know that he'll rise again at the resurrection at the last day. Martha believed that the dead will one day be raised. And that they'll have life. But it's Jesus who makes the connection for her. And says. I am the resurrection. And the life. He who believes in me. Though he may die. He shall live. And if there's one connection. You and I need to make in John. It's that connection. That God has a promise of life. For men and women. And John is asking us to believe in Jesus. And those two things go absolutely hand in hand. So if we were to, to finish off by saying, well, you know, is it, is it important then that you and I get to know Jesus and, and find out more about him from John's record and the other records of Jesus' life? Well, John himself answers that for us. He says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you sent that's how important it is that we get to know Jesus or as we read at the beginning there in our opening reading the things that were written in this book this particular record from John these things were written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that believing you may have life in his name now I know you're going to go on in future weeks and, and think more about uh, things, specific parts of John's gospel record. But in, in summary of what we've looked at just for a few minutes this afternoon, that the, the themes that are there in John, what have we seen? Well, 
we've seen that John is putting over to us Jesus Christ as the Son of God. That's the most important thing he wants to establish about Jesus for us. And because he's the Son of God, John says, he was sent by God for, for a very specific purpose, sent to show us what God is like, so that you and I can understand God better, and also sent by God to give his life for us, so that we might have eternal life. And John has told me and you that if we want that hope of eternal life, well, we need to get to know Jesus. We need to believe in him and be born again in him through water, which is the message that Jesus gave to Nicodemus right back there in chapter 3. Well, I suppose the only question we're left with then is, what's stopping us from uh, taking those steps? We hope you enjoyed that talk. For more downloads, information about what we believe, and details of our meeting times, go to our website, ormskirkchristadelphians.org.uk. Thank you.